We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. Good afternoon. You are tuned and listening in to the Woman to Woman Show here on Community Radio, Kilkenny City, where we have a packed show for you today. Uh, later on in the program, I'll be talking to uh, the only locally owned uh, bookshop here in Kilkenny, Karen Kiley, and this t- tomorrow is World Book Day, so we'll be talking about the importance of children reading books. And uh, we have, we'll be talking to... Uh, Irish examiner, journalist and author Closer Kin about her book Through Her Eyes about 21 women who have been forgotten in history. So really inspirational books and it's a book I am just loving every moment of it. And on today we are also giving out a prize for, for which has been sponsored by Karen's Bookshop and that is a most beautiful book by local Kilkenny uh, photographer and that is indeed a, a beautiful uh, book and um, so that is by Danny Lahart. I thought I was forgetting his name there in my head, Danny Lahart. To be in to win this beautiful book of uh, photographs of Danny Lahart, all you have to do is text into studio on 86 353-7782 the, uh, the answer to the question where is Kang's Bookshop located in Kilkenny? So again where is Kang's Bookshop located in Kilkenny? And text your answer into me here on 086-353-7782 On the line now with me is indeed Kilkenny's very own Deputy Kathleen Function Ka- Kathleen you're very welcome to the Woman to Woman Show Thanks, Roisin. Kathleen, keeping well. I am indeed. How are you keeping with all this COVID? Not too bad. Thankfully, we're, we're all safe, which is yeah. great. Um, maybe kind of getting a little bit weary with the homeschooling now at this stage. Um, yes. I now invite you back for another, I think, two weeks. And then after Easter, secondary school, they're going back after Easter. So I think it'll be hopefully good for them all. At least to be able to mix with friends and everything because it has been very hard on kids. It has, um, Kathleen. Yeah. And especially as your as your role as a TD representing us as well, trying to be there for your children, homeschool and making sure they're okay. And then you are also the spokesperson for Minister of uh, for Children here for us as well. Yeah, there's a lot going on, but it's, it's all good as well. And like it's always great to get the opportunity to um, raise... The, the relevant issue is that we've been doing a huge amount recently in relation to the mother and baby homes that falls into the portfolio that I have responsibility for and then I also chair the Oireachtas Committee, the Children's Oireachtas Committee so they both fall into into that section so there's been a huge amount of work um, and I suppose you know people have, were very I suppose disappointed and upset and angered when their report come out there on the 11th of January in relation to how the report was drafted and the kind of content, um, you know, contradicted itself in lots of areas and people weren't happy with, with, I suppose, the language and the kind of dismissive attitude that was within the report. So people were rightfully angry. So that's been um, a huge amount of the work just over the last few weeks, I suppose, that I've been involved with. And definitely tell us about that because I think... The whole country is aghast at the, you know, at the, maybe, at the women, especially the mothers and and children who were uh, born and had the real life experience of the mother and baby homes. 
It's like a human rights violation. Some people are, talk, are calling it the fact that, you know, they're having to relive the real life experience all over again. Yeah, it definitely is a human rights violation. I think that's actually a really good description of it because, first of all, the fact that these institutions existed, like sometimes I think, you know, in the age we're living in now, it's difficult to believe that people, women, well, many were girls, many were well under the age of 18, um, when they were like literally incarcerated in these institutions, nobody was um, was wanting to to be there. And, and very many of the stories were of maybe the, the local parish priest or somebody in some level of authority, uh, in, you know, putting serious serious pressure on families and on girls to to go into these institutions. And then subsequently, when they did have their babies, uh, you know, of there was forced adoption. And I think everybody actually realises that there was forced adoption in this country, yet the report came with, up with a conclusion that there was no evidence of forced adoption. And it was it was issues like that that really angered people in relation to the report because, you know, even reading through it, there was very many stories. And one that always sticks out in my head is of a lady who believed she was signing some documentation around a, a, a potential social welfare payment and subsequently, you know, I, I'm not sure when she found out, but it was certainly very much after the, the fact she found out that they were actually the adoption papers. So, I mean, if that is not forced adoption, like, what is? And yet the, the report then said there was no evidence of forced adoption. So, that's really what, what really angered people. And to be honest, I think the reporters after actually making the situation an awful lot worse because it did like... If you were if you were forced into one of these institutions, like for a long time you were silenced, you know, and people didn't want to hear what you had to say or they didn't believe what you what you had to say. And then to actually have the courage to take part in the report and relive all that story and how upsetting and traumatic that must have been, and then waiting, waiting it was nearly six years. The report was nearly in the making, and then having to have to wait all that time, and then you get the report, and it's you're looking at your story saying that is not my story that's not how I told my story or how could they think oh this, this was just the times we were living in because that was very much the attitude contained in the report and I think like it, it, to say it re-traumatised people is probably an understatement yes. but it's probably one of the one of the best descriptions of it but it, you know so there's, there's a huge amount that needs to happen now in terms of all of the things that survivors and their families and their representative groups have been calling for for years around the redress. Um, there's been a promise of enhanced medical cards because very many women have serious medical issues after being in some of these places because potentially the way you were made to give birth, you know, without the proper medical intervention and, and the, the kind of the long-term effect that, that can have and, and other issues as well, not just that. So we, they need to be acted upon and then the access to records and the access data yes. really really important for people too well I want to come on to the birth rights in a little minute but even what you were saying that you know women women I think the fact that they you know that, to, to be believed when you say something happened to you and the fact that somebody respects you enough to say that they believe you yes yeah. and then for the fact that the, the tapes went missing and then they miraculously re reappeared again yeah that was you know, it's it's like the, the whole situation when you think about the length of time it took and also when you think about the length of time it took to actually get a commission of investigation you know, it was only 2015 that, I mean, how did anyone think that 
like why wasn't it investigated or looked into before then firstly yes. then the length of time it took then the fact that the part of the report was leaked um, people may remember that there in, in very early January you know so it was insult after insult after insult there was a situation last October in the Dáil as well where um, you know the legislation around <coughs> kind of resealing the records like confirming that they would be sealed for that 30 years so there's been so many um I don't know what the right word is, but like uh, disappointments or letdowns, it, it, it doesn't go strong enough. But it's been so many, like really, really horrible things d- done to, to survivors and to their families, and so they've just had to deal with all of this. Then the whole situation, as you were saying, around the tapes and the records and the destruction of of data, and just the upset and the panic of that. that you know, like was the, was the records were the were the testimony sorry destroyed, and you know how many had been destroyed and all of the worry of that and then it, it emerged thankfully I will say it was welcome that it emerged that they hadn't been destroyed but still you, all this kind of was unnecessary upset as well and a lot could have been avoided if the commission had agreed to come in and speak to the Children's Committee they were given an invitation to the Oireachtas Children's Committee to try and address some of these issues and to try and you know it wasn't it was for engagement yes. you know, it was to try and get some, some answers to questions for people and they refused to um, engage with the committee unfortunately um, so you know I think that some of us you know we might have been able to get some answers if they had come in and I think it would have shown respect Yes. for survivors as well um, and their families if they, if they had come in to the committee so that was a, another insult to injury and Kathleen were all the was all the documents of the the, uh, the data and the tapes was it all written down verbatim you see there's there's a question mark over that as well so um, obviously you would you would think that if you're taking testimony or taking records it has to be verbatim because for example, I could summarise the situation differently than you might summarise it, and you know that's that's the difficulty with summaries. Um, so now there is a um, they're they're saying that that the testimony was summarised, but I would say now that they have um, been able to confirm that those records and that data were, were there, that the backup tapes were there, that they now should be taken down for bottom, so that yes. there is no question mark over a summary because you know. Like it's really important that those sort of records are kept exactly as um, as they're as they're spoken and as they're said, not somebody's interpretation of it. Exactly, and not only that, it will show that the women were heard, they were listened to, and that they, that they were respected. That their life experiences will go down in history and will be remembered. Exactly, exactly. Like you no, know, I can only imagine as a mother and like you. The, the, the pain, the anguish of having to give up our baby. And the women that went in here, as, you, as you've said, is they were under 18. They were just children themselves. And, and having to give up their baby, sign legal documents to say that they would never uh, go looking for them or look to seek them out. That was traumatic. And, you know, it must be stay with them for the rest of their lives, the guilt and everything else. But, like, I could just imagine that. And then the pain but you also like even more the humiliation on the children that you know they have they need the right to the birth cert i could only imagine i'm in my 50s kathleen you're a public representative you know the first thing you probably look for is a birth cert yeah i still have to provide i'm 54 now in april i still have to provide my birth cert yeah it's my identity and and the thing is it's something that we like i will 
put my hand up and say I completely take that for granted. Um, I would just, you know, if you ever think, oh, I need my birth record for that, you think to yourself, okay, where is that document? And, and you go find it in your house. So to think that there is actually a whole section of our society that are not legally entitled to their birth search in 2021, it's actually incredible to think that that still exists. So Again, that's, that a hum- that's a human rights violation, some might say. I think it is, and I think like, I think it's a basic human right to be able to have access to your identity. And so I've drafted legislation that would, if it was passed, it would give all adopted people in Ireland a legal right mm-hmm. to their birth certificate. Um, and I'm hoping that we that would be up for discussion next Wednesday in the Dáil. Um, and I w- I'm also really hopeful that we will get government support on it because I think it is a very practical piece of legislation. It's actually a very straightforward piece of legislation. And it is important to say that it is only one step. And I would see it as a first step. There does need to be wider access to to like um, adoption files and other other like medical records for people. But I think it's really important that we at least um, start with this and at least get mm-hmm. people access to their birth certificates because as you say I mean I lose count of the amount of times whatever the issue might be that, that you might be dealing with constituents you would automatically say oh you need a copy of your birth cert for that or you know can you drop me in a copy of your birth cert and you don't even think twice about it so I think it's really wrong as I say in this day and age that there is still a huge amount of people that don't have access to that very basic data or basic information about themselves and you know, I can only imagine a birth search is your first. Pa- it's your identity. You, on yeah. the birth search, it tells you the, the date, the time, the place you were born, your parents, the, uh, their even like where they where where they uh, where you know everything about your parents, their date yeah. of birth. That is your identity. So I can only imagine that if I didn't have my birth search, I wouldn't know any. I wouldn't know who I was, and it's a key. Uh, cornerstone of actually creating your own identity. This is who I am. Exactly, exactly. I think it's really important that we, you know, there's been so much, um, I suppose, sympathetic voices since the publication of the report and since we knew it was going to the airport. And often when any topic around the mother and baby situations or, or the magdalene laundries or whatever it might be comes up, you hear a lot of sympathy and a lot of kind of shock to raise voices like oh god how could we let that happen and that was terrible and you know people like we're talking about you know people like the, the Taoiseach or ministers or whoever apologising and I'm sure that they're 100% sincere in that but the thing is like in order for an apology to actually mean anything and actually be relevant there has to be action you know you can't just keep saying we're sorry we're sorry well then listen to what survivors and their families and the various representative and advocacy groups over the years have been saying and one thing they're clearly saying is they want access to their birth certificates as well as other data and as well as all the stuff around the medical cards and the redress but we really need to start now putting some of these things into action and stop saying that we're going to do it and that's I suppose why I drafted that legislation in the hope that it's one uh, step that is an actual action and uh, not just words Um, so I'm really hopeful as I say, that um, we'll get support for it next week. Yeah. So the bill you're putting through, correct me if I'm wrong, that is the Civil Registration Amendments Bill 21. Is yeah, that that's right? it. Yeah. And oh, can you tell us a little bit about the bill? Well, it's very technical, basically. It's just sort of um, amends um, other legislation around birth certificates to, to include people who are adopted. So it's, it's um, like, I've actually 
I generally refer to it as the birth certificates bill just because mm-hmm. we say civil registration amendment bill people don't necessarily understand, un- understand yeah. what that means but so it's just really a technical piece of legislation that um, in fairness to to um, a lot of the representative groups of survivors and survivors they've been calling for this for a very long time like for and they've been saying how straightforward it is for a very very long time so they really are the ones I suppose that deserve the credit um, for it and look as I say you never know particularly the way the government is at the moment like they vote against a lot of what I would have thought were really good pieces of legislation or, or motions that we brought forward you know they, they vote against our child care one for example last July but I'm really hoping that they will do the right thing with this one and that they they won't um, you know that they will they will support it because it's the right thing to do yes and my final question, Kathleen, and I know you'll go. You can put your hands up in the air and say, "Who knows?" Do you, as a, a public representative and somebody who knows, like the, you would know an awful lot of the back end of the stuff than what we would know? Do you think? And I, if I was a a child of uh, of my mother, if I was born in the modern baby homes, do you think that my mother and and me, if now it's not me, I'm talking hypothetically, yeah, do you yeah. think women and ch- and the children and babies of the modern baby homes will eventually get the justice that they deserve? Um, I, I do think so, because I think uh, the reason I think that is I think the people that have been advocating and raising this and telling their stories are so so unbelievably strong and courageous mm. and like I really just don't know how some women have kept going like yeah. thoughts of somebody taking your baby away from you um, I just like I can't I always think of my own two boys and yeah. I just think how like how could you I, I honestly the strength and the courage that they've had uh, has it's been incredible and I think that there's like eventually unfortunately I think that you know, we've already seen some people pass away and I think by the time everything does actually come out and and get resolved, we obviously have seen more people pass away. So unfortunately, I don't think everyone will be around to see that. No. But I do think that their determination will actually see um, some justice being done in the end, you know, because I think that they've been they've been incredible without, um, they haven't given up and, and everything. And I think that the, maybe for... For the, like I know the public would have always had um, you know would have wanted to see the right thing done but I suppose mm-hmm. now the way the world has gone and there's so many different ways of you know through social media and everything I think that maybe people are a bit, a bit more aware about the whole story than they would have been and I think that that would be a help as well because I think the public would really be behind yes. survivors and, and their families and, and, and groups to, to ensure that the right thing is done well, Kathleen Function, you know, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and speak to us today on the Woman to Woman show, and especially about a topic that is so close to many women's hearts, and that is our babies and we have, uh, the process of even just being a woman and a baby growing inside you, and just the right to actually enjoy giving birth. And yeah, it's it's so. I can only think that what was going through them young girls minds and hearts when they were entering the doors of these institutions and as you said they were incarcerated I mean like the state and the church you know it's just unbelievable um the the brutality and the human rights violations that they suffered when it's supposed to be a wonderful joyful time for a woman 
yeah, I know it's it's absolutely devastating and it is heartbreaking and it is a very emotive topic, but it, that, that is all the more reason for us to ensure that we, we as legislators match that now with action and yes. ensure that the right thing is done. Perfect. Well, Kathleen Function, we, we, we need far more women in politics, regardless Definitely of political do. affiliation. And yes. But that's another day's topic. Yes. <laughs> yes. But, um, well, thank you so much for taking the time to come up with us today. Stay well and stay safe. And Thanks, all Rosie. the very best with your boys with the homeschooling. Thanks so much. Okay, Thanks, take Rosie. care. Bye. And God bless. That was definitely Kathleen Function there. And um, we're going to take a break. And then we're going to be talking about... Women in Our History, again, with a wonderful book about 21 uh, women who may have been, who have been forgotten um, in our history, and that is the Clojure Fings book, Through Her Eyes. Do stay tuned, and we'll be talking to Clojure right after the break. We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. You're very welcome back to the Woman to Woman show here on Community Radio called Kenny City. And uh, before the break, I was call- talking to Deputy Kathleen Function about the mo- mother and baby homes debacle and um, about the the bill that she's putting through next week in the Doyle on the right to the birth certificates. And um, so we just give her a good... Uh, a thought out to all the people involved, all the mothers and, and babies from the mother and baby homes. And I think everybody will agree with me, the whole of Ireland is backing every single one of these mothers and babies. Well, we don't forget we have the competition and it's sponsored by Kang, Kylie from Kang's Bookshop. And this is a book, as we'll be talking to Karen later on about uh, tomorrow being World Book Day. And Karen has a beautiful uh, book by... Um, Danny Lahash and it's all about photographs of Kilkenny. And just to remind you, you can text the answer to the question in able to be able to win the book to 086-353-7782. And the question is, where is Karen's bookshop located in Kilkenny? And I'll give the number again. It's 86 086- Three five three seven seven eight two. We are moving on to something that is just get really gets me in a happy mood during this COVID um, time of reading, and it is World Book Day and everything else. And that is by the book that I'm reading, and it is through her eyes, and it is a new history of in of Ireland in 21 women and it is written, so beautifully written by Clodagh Finn who is a journalist with the Irish Examiner and she's a published author we had Clodagh on recently talking about her other book but this book is just brings me to this brings joy to my heart to talk about how wonderful, courageous we Irish women have been throughout history and Clodagh, you're on the line now to tell us about a couple of these ladies in the book because we're going to go through the year, we're going to talk about this um, at length throughout the year, but Clodagh, can you tell me, what inspired you to write this book? There are so many inspirational women in history and I remember doing history in school and the only one that was in the history books was Eva McMurrah, who was the Princess of Leinster, you might remember and she was given kind of as a present to Stromboli but she was mute. I didn't ever remember that she had said anything. Right. And when I went back um, to look at the story and to see who was this woman and can we say anything about her, I was fascinated to read that 
we really get to know Aoife Mathmora not so much when she was the wife of Strong, Strongbow, but when Strongbow died, just six years after they were married, actually, she becomes his widow and she inherits his estate. She becomes a countess in her own right. She is a businesswoman who signs her own charters. She manages to negotiate her way in a very predatory court of King Henry II. And that's a very different picture to the one of the, you know, silent Aoife that we saw in school. Yes. So that was one of the stories that interested me. I wondered what it would be like if, um, I don't know if you ever watched Doctor Who. Yes. But I imagined myself into a kind of a real life version of Doctor Who's time machine. And I wondered if I stepped down at different times in history to meet a woman, what would she be able to tell me? Right. So that sent me off on a journey looking to history, to archaeology, to myths and to folklore to kind of summon up these uh, women from the past. Well, the first book, uh, Lady, in your book, well, I find this so fascinating. You've written about the woman of the Baron, and she was one of Ireland's earliest farmers. Now, I just think, wow, she would have been so inspirational. And she was, tell us about her, because I just think, wow. Yeah, I was amazed. Um, I studied archaeology, and I remember reading in the, uh, they did excavations on um, the dolmen Paul Lebrun in the bird. Uh-huh. Now that's one of the most photographed sites, archaeological sites in Ireland and people might it might actually be able to, to picture this dolmen, you know, on the fantastic landscape of the burn. But underneath that are buried thirty five people. And at that time, that would have been about five thousand years ago, you would be very lucky to get to twenty or mm-hmm. twenty five. And I read that there were there was a woman there who was 55 because they did some, um, Dr. Anne Lynch did some excavations um, a couple of decades ago, so they had a very good record. And I said, what would this woman's life be like? So that would, she would be like a 150-year-old woman now. So first of all, she would have had so many stories and she would have seen so much. I was fascinated in trying to find out a bit more about her. So the archaeology tells us one thing, but actually in very recent years, in the last five years or so, there's been fantastic genetic research um, being done by a team led with Trinity. So we can actually say that she, if she were alive today, she would look most like uh, a woman from Sardinia. And I remember being fascinated by that. Yes, I was. Yeah. And, you know, you have this picture of her. Um, she would have been quite small, probably quite dark. And the archaeology tells us another story. Um, she would have had lots of arthritis. She probably would have got around carrying loads on her head. And what fascinated me is there is a lot of wear on the upper limbs, but in particular on the left limb, limbs. So we can actually say that this woman or the the people that were buried in this period were probably left-handed. So I find it amazing that you could reach back through so many years of history and tell that. I have to tell you one other thing as well is that they found 580 adult teeth under this 
um, dolman. Guess how many had uh, dental caries or uh, holes in them? I have. Tell me. One. Wow. They had fantastic teeth because they didn't eat any sugar. It was all uh, whole grains and fruit and nuts and protein. It's it's ironic. We're talking about the Neolithic um, period mm-hmm. in Ireland, but they were probably following what we would call a Paleolithic diet. And you know what I found fascinating? They didn't eat much meat. No, they didn't. No. Yeah. They don't really know why that is, but these people, these early people, um, came with um, cows and sheep, and they were new to Ireland. So, first of all, I think pigs were the only thing native to Ireland. So, when the people in Ireland saw these, these animals, they must have thought they were, like, wonder-inducing. Maybe it was because these people had just arrived with their animals that they didn't eat them. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they were, you know, like sacred in some way. I don't know. But they didn't eat much meat. They did have um, animal milk, though. Mm-hmm. The other thing they didn't um, exploit at the time was fish. And yeah. they were quite near, yeah, quite near the coast. Um, so, you know, there, there's lots of things we don't know. So it's a kind of very interesting picture um, why these things were. But it does suggest that, you know, maybe they ha- it, maybe it reflects their belief system. You know, kind of interesting. And you know what I find very interesting too? Although they didn't use the, fi- the sea for, for, for the source of food for fish, but there's a lot of evidence that they did a lot of trading with mainland Europe. And within a lot of the tools, there was volcanic ash made from the tools. It's unbelievable. I think when we look back, it's the thing that annoys me. We tend to think that people are primitive. Yes. Or that, you know, they, can, they are lesser than we are. These were a very sophisticated people who made the most use of the things around them and who had incredible links with Europe. First of all, these people would have come originally from Turkey. Then they would have spread out to France and England. And the people who built that tomb in County Clare were very probably came from France or England. And the woman, she doesn't have a name. I call her the woman of the burn. She would probably know the, the stories of them setting out. These were colonizers, if you like. Um, one of the things that the genetics tell us is that there were three distinct populations in Ireland. There were the hunter-gatherers, then you had the earliest farmers, and they came in such an influx, it would be like a colonization. And then you had the metal workers that came about 1,500 years after that. And that's when they, they are us. We can trace our genes back to these early um, metal workers. And they come from the Black Sea. So if you go all the way back, we actually come from the Black Sea, which is very interesting when you think of all politics and yeah. who we are as Irish people, you know, um, a very interesting question. Well, there's another lady. Now, I, I like this lady. The Celtic horse goddess of Ulster. Yeah. Now, I'm an, an Ulster woman, but I really love her spirit. Tell us about the Celtic horse goddess. Maka, you know, you spoke there about uh, mothers and babies. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a piece, and actually, in Maka was a wild... Um, mythical figure and she was said to be the goddess of the Tuatha Dé Danann 
and she came from the underworld and she came to um, Armagh and moved in with the widow Cronach. She just arrived one day, looked after his children, settled in and became pregnant. And one day, Cronick was invited to a big bash, if you like, in Armagh with the, uh, at the ancient uh, seat of Ulster. And um, she had supernatural powers and had great speed. But she said, don't, whatever you do, say anything about my supernatural powers. But Cronick obviously had a little bit too much mead. And when the king, this is King Crohur, Magnessa brought out his royal steed. Cronach couldn't control himself and he said, my wife could outrun them. Mm-hmm. So the king really got this up his nose and he said, okay, let's do it. And this is the bit that reminds me of the mother and baby. Maka pleaded, um, she was very near her due date, pleaded not to uh, run against the king's horses. He was not for turning. In any case, she lined out against them um, she ran like the wind and finished with eight lengths to spare. Oh my God. And as she came to the finishing line, she went into labour. And she called out for help and nobody came because they were so fr- afraid of how the king would react. She felt so angry and so dishonoured that she scooped up her children, a boy and a girl, and she fled to the, un- the underworld back to where she had come from and she said I will curse Ulster for nine generations so that the um, warriors of Ulster they will feel labour pains when they go into battle um, everybody except Cucullin and she said this place will carry my name and the name of my children right mm-hmm. so to me that sounds you know it's, it's, it's um, a story perhaps at the time that showed um reminded people that you had to take care of pregnant women you had to mind them and if you didn't you know obviously the population wouldn't continue but what interests me about Maka is this story is the very beginning of the Ulster cycle we, we all know Cullen and mm-hmm. we know Queen Maeve this is the very first story and Arna is actually called after after Maka it's Ardvaka which is Maka's height and the ancient city of Ulster, which is still there and has been excavated, is called Aulvaka, which is the twins of Maka. So this took place 2,000 years ago, and yet her name is still stitched into the landscape. So she might be mythical, but she was very powerful. And yes, and still remembered today too, uh, very much so. There's another lady I want to get to talk to before we run out, and this is I like this lady. I have to say I like them all. I I like the spirit <laughs> of them all. Is now pronounce me if I uh, cr- yes yes. I, she was the early Irish saint and a miracle worker with eyesight. Tell us about her. I think she's great. <laughs> she's great. And she's a local saint. I'm from Trillian, County Kerry. And my parents and my dad in particular used to always tell me stories, local stories and stories of the landscape. And um, my aunt was also a great storyteller. And she used to tell me the story. There would be a lot of what we'd call pattern days. You know, they'd be the celebrations of local saints. And on the 4th of June, Dahlans is Dahlans Day, and they celebrate the saint and her miracle. She had a convent on Kerry Head, which is out near Ballyhigh, or it's in North Kerry. 
and a group of pirates came to, to raid her convent and she struck them blind and they pleaded with her to restore her eyesight, their eyesight and she said I will um, drink from the water of the well I will restore your eyesight so long as you leave us in peace and they agreed and they drank from the well and then they went off and 15, 15 centuries later people are still coming to that well and if you talk to the locals they will talk of cures um, the people it helps eyesight there's one woman who came she um, wanted to have a child and she drank from the water of the well and eventually she actually had twins and called one of them Mary St. Dahlan so the, these are the stories um, you can believe it or not believe it but still so many centuries later um, people are coming to this site so yeah, yeah. Well, I would love to. Uh, I'm going to actually go there when restrictions lift for my ho- um, during my holidays, and I'm going to go and seek out the well because for 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 decades it was overgrown, but local people have actually gone there and they look after it and they've cleared it all uh, away. So I'm going to make it my business to go. And I think she was a lovely, feisty lady, and I'm going to go and visit um, her well. Fantastic. And yes. when you're there, let me tell you, Roshi, stand at her well and look out towards um, Scattery Island, which is in the mouth of the River Shannon. On a good day, you can actually see. Because around the same time, um, there was another female saint called Saint Conora or Saint Canner. And she decided she wanted to go to Scattery Island, which had seven churches on it. And it was run or you could even say ruled by uh, Saint Senate. And she actually walked on water. We have an Irish female saint who is said to have walked on water. And when she got there, Senan said, you can't come in. There's no women here. (laughs) Yeah, out, out. And she said, where did you get that idea? God, he, you know, he sacrificed himself for men, for women as much as men. We have every right. And he eventually let her in. So I love that story. You can keep that in your mind as well when you're visiting Ballyhike. I definitely will. Clojo, you know, we're going to have you on um, next month or or, or five weeks' time and have you on talking about the rest of the women. I think this is inspiring us all, especially during lockdown and giving us some great inspiration of our Irish women who may have been forgotten, but wow, they were just so inspirational. And maybe we all need that inspiration now. You know, if anybody wants to join me, I tweet every day. I tweet about a woman from history every day. So that's at Finn Cloda, if if anybody wants to uh, join in or make suggestions. I'd be delighted to hear from you. Brilliant. And Cloda, you are also speaking at the Irish Examiner free virtual event for International Women's Day. Absolutely. And everybody should join in. It's at one o'clock. And you can register free, and there is also, if you go on the Irish Examiner uh, website, um, there's also a chance to win a Green and Black's hamper with about 40 bars of chocolate and other goodies in it. So that will also keep you going through lockdown, although we shouldn't probably be pushing (laughs) chocolate in the holy season of Lent. But anyway, that's all there for you. So I hope you join me and Alison O'Connor and Aoife Grace and Dervil O'Rourke as well. We're going to be talking about having the courage to challenge 
Oh, that would be brilliant. On Monday. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm joining in, and uh, Aoife Grace is a fellow dairy woman of mine, so... She, Fantastic. Yes, so yes. I'll be uh, looking and get to listen to you both, and I've booked my place already. Well, I will see you there, then. You definitely will. E- and uh, Clodagh Finn, thank you so much for coming on and speaking to us today. We really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. My Good pleasure too. Good afternoon. Do stay tuned. Uh, we're going to go for a commercial break and we'll be speaking to Ken Kiley about Word, uh, World Word Day uh, d- tomorrow. So stay tuned and we'll have the winner of our competition to the Danny LaHarts uh, book. So do stay tuned. We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. You're very welcome back to the Woman to Woman show here on Community Radio, Kilkenny City. Well, that was a really interesting, it's all about women and babies when you think about it today. And um, it's just a lovely mix to, to celebrate women. And um, this week and tomorrow is World Book Day. And Karen Carey is on the phone to tell us about World Book Day. And it's been running for 24 years. But Karen's going to be telling us. But before we do, we're going to announce the winner of the Danny Lahart book that is so graciously sponsored by Karen's, uh, Carey's and Karen's bookshop. And the prize goes to, we'll do a drum roll, goes to Mary Kavner. So Miles texted him for his lovely wife. And Karen said to me that she must be an angel. So uh, say hello to you, Mary. And uh, I haven't met you, but... I tell you, El, um, I'm going to say Elvis, Miles always talks what a wonderful wife you are indeed. And um, so maybe we'll have you on at the air talking to us one day, Mary. So, can, so can, can Mary uh, and, and um, Miles, Cam will deliver the book straight to you uh, herself. So no need to come to the radio station, Cam will deliver the book. So Cam, you're very welcome back to the Woman to Woman show. Her for years, very good customer of mine. Ah, uh, the, the, yeah, sure. And hopefully, she'll enjoy her book. Yes, can now tomorrow is the World Book Day, and the World Book Day has been running over for 24, uh, 24 years and it's firmly established in Ireland's biggest annual event promoting the enjoyment of books for children. So, can you tell us about that? Okay, I'll tell you about World Book Day right now. All the children receive 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 vouchers for 150. They're right. actually distributed through the schools, okay? Yes. Now, um, and basically, there are books that you can get for free for 150 or you can take 150 from the voucher if the book is €4 Euros or more. However, because we are in lockdown this year, we've taken that into consideration in Cannes, and we are going to extend it into the end of April. So right. we are, that yes. they can use, use their voucher. Now, it is extremely popular and extremely well run. And it's a lovely, it is, not, it is, one, it is extremely well run, and it's one of the reasons why I'm a member of the booksellers. It's actually the booksellers who organise this, and I have to give a big shout-out to the booksellers, who really have done a tremendous job during this lockdown. So they have, and, and helped us, and helped us in so many ways. And it's, and it's very well, and every child can get something, and everybody's looked after, and that's what I like about it. Yes, and I think it's even come at a very good, like even more important now about children reading books, especially during the times that we're in it. Like for you as a professional uh, lady who who is so professional in selling books and finding the right books for people, like books really is so important for children to actually get into that creative, magical world of reading. Yeah, 
Russian, I can't tell you how important it is. Now, I was having a quick look and did a little bit of research before I came on the show. And they were saying that the OCD, the, OC, the OED CD findings say that reading for pleasure is the biggest indicator and the most important item in a child's future success. They say it's more important than family circumstances and parents' educational background are income. Are, are, are income. And the best thing we can do is to get our children to read. And that's one of the things why I've always said about CAMS. It's why we sell books from Euro upwards. It's so that everybody can come into CAMS, feel part of it and enjoy it. And every child can get a book. Well, Cam, my two children, they have so many memories, like all the children of Kilkenny, of going into Cairns bookshops and getting their books. And you knew every child that came in. My daughter, still, Naomi, still t- talks about it. You knew exactly what books she had uh, read. You see, you know, the, like, we're not at school book fairs, fairs, but for the last 10 years, we've been out in school selling books. Yes. And I'd like to say hello to them all down in Tilton, where we spent the last 10 years. Unfortunately, we're not there today, but they send them a big hello. And because of that, I got to know the children. And Roshi, the fun we've had, honestly, with the children, I mean, I mean, between trying to cut me and always trying to barter <laughs> with me and swapping books, and, oh, honestly, it, I mean, it is, it, it is really, it's certainly been extremely memorable for me. And when the book first stopped, what amazing was the amount of children who told me how much they missed them. Yes. And I was absolutely amazed. So I was. So, Cam, what books are coming out? I'm going to say it for children first, and then we'll talk about the other books, because mm-hmm. I didn't realise the, the, the visiting books and the, uh, are, are, are all coming out, and I just think I would love them. I might actually say to my children for my birthday or Mother's Day, get, I want that. But, like, there's so many books out there and what are children reading at the moment and what's popular and could you tell us maybe um, we'll start promoting the um, the Kilkenny authors of children's books so what have they got um, out at the moment now okay what we'll talk about is the Kilkenny children's authors right okay top of the list here on my list is a place called Perfect that's Helena Duggan and she's written three books there are and they've been extremely popular so they have and and then we have There'll be one or two that'll be less well-known. It doesn't mean they're not as good. There's um, uh, another one from, from Kena Murphy, Fox Socks. Now, my little bird, Robin, loves this. It's really, really it's self-published, and it's really funny, so it is. Uh, and, and it's really, really funny. Then, of course, we have Wolfwalker, the cartoon saloon, new graphic novel, which has just come out. And then we have Caroline Tracy, who has done Barney Goose and the Big Cat which has just come out this week is Anne Murta Anne Murta's second book The Kids of Summer Hill and she's also had had Sand Freedom now Anne Murta is um, basically she was a teacher in, in the Kilkenny School Project but she writes a lot of history books and she's very interested in history now I haven't read her second book because it's just out but her first book was very good and of course then we have uh, Danny Hart's photography book which is actually at the moment out of print Really? There's no more copies left, and we have one copy left. Well, Miles Kavner and Mary Kavner are so lucky. And, and and it's a beautiful book. And for anybody who's living who's living abroad, it's actually a, it's actually quite a slim book. It's, it's beautiful colour pictures of Kilkenny and shows Kilkenny at its finest, finest. But it's actually quite a slim book, which means you can actually post it abroad. Right. This book is extremely well thought out, and Danny's done a very good job. So congratulations, Danny. 
and a great book in promoting tourism for, for Kilkenny and Absolutely. Ireland. Yeah, and, and for any of the diaspora living abroad, I think they would really love this, particularly at the moment when they can't come home. Yes, especially for that. And you're actually just giving, making feel like there's a little bit of home here for them in the book. Exactly. So what are women reading at the moment? Okay, now, when we started the lockdown, including myself, we all went on a feast of murder, from what I could say. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, my long-suffering husband said, you have to stop reading murder books, can So I said, okay, fair enough. And then another man, who's equally long-suffering, very pleasant, man rang me and told me I was not to tell his wife one more murder book. <laughs> so I decided to have a good look and we began to look at the idea of reading books that purely for escapism and also books that would actually make you feel well. Mm-hmm. A feel good Why factor. Why not? Yeah, a feel good factor and get away all of this murder and all of these things because eventually I don't think it was good for me. So we, we we looked at a few authors. Now the first author we looked at is Lucinda Riley. I love Lucinda Riley. Now Lucinda Riley has a series of books called The Seven Sisters, and they were basically all girls who were adopted. Funny now, considering your yeah, today. exactly. Look, <laughs> it's funny. And basically, it's all about. And they were adopted by a by a recluse who was a multimillionaire, and it basically tells all of their stories. And it's real. And I love a saga, and of course the Bridgerton saga. That, yes. is, that is so popular. I'm glued to it. I'm glued to the, yes. to the, the, yes. the, the, the programme. Yes. Now, I believe that's the next Fifty Shades of Grey. I believe that's how popular it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah, because I can't wait to see the next episodes and the next series. And it really is. And really, it's a sexed up version of Downton Abbey. Yeah. <laughs> never thought about it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It, and you know, I just love the fact that um, it's, it's a woman writing the diaries of everybody she knows, and everybody wants to know who who is the author. And I just think that, and really, it justifies women's lives back then. And um, even the even the fashion is wonderful, and really about women having to survive and um, get through everything. Can we run out of time? I could talk to you all day as usual. Um, so thank you for coming on the show today, and we'll talk to you next week. And thank you so much for having me on. You're more than welcome. And uh, that's all we have time for today. And stay. Uh, Frank Tynan is coming up for Kilkenny today. We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, eighty-eight point seven FM.